We're going to continue today Paul's theme that he starts in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. And it's, let me set it up for you once again. The contextual flow is this. False apostles have come in to the church that he started at Corinth. Came from Jerusalem, most likely. Jewish false apostles. They are ridiculing Paul, saying he's not an apostle. He doesn't have the credentials. And so Paul, in the midst of these accusations and in the midst of this undermining, here was their philosophy. If we can discredit the messenger, we'll discredit the message. They're after the gospel. They want to undo the gospel. They want you to believe in a different Christ, a different gospel, a different spirit. And so Paul says, I feel forced to defend myself. And he goes, uses this phrase, bear with me acting like a fool. And that is, I'm going to boast a bit of what God has done for me. But he said, I know this is the behavior of a fool, because Proverbs is full of this. A man who promotes himself biblically is a fool. So he's aware of that. We look at chapter 11, verse 30, that continues in this section we'll look at today. Listen to what he says. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This is an astounding verse. It's totally opposed to anything a healthy man would do. You never show your vulnerability. You never show your weakness. You've got to show strength. You've got to be strong. And so here Paul does something that upsets the whole argument. Okay, I'm going to boast, but the main theme of my boast will be my weakness. My weakness. This is astounding. Here's the paradox. Here's the paradox. Is he strong or is he weak? Is he weak or is he strong? Well, he's both. That's the paradox. He's weak, weak, weak. And he said in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, who is adequate for the task before me? And he says, I'm not. But God, by his spirit, is enabling me to do it. But I'm telling you, I'm inadequate to do it of myself. I can do it with God's strength. So we come up with this formula that we said last week. Here it is. Charlie Orozco gets me to slow down so I can get the lines. Here's the line. Ministry is not the elimination of inadequacy. Just because God's using you, he's not saying you don't have any inadequacies, areas you feel incompetent. But it's the divine empowerment of inadequate people. I mean, let's take the 12. 11 show up in the upper room. You wouldn't want to, one of them, I wouldn't want him as an elder, let alone my pastor. Here they denied the Lord three times in Peter's case. The others all abandoned him the night of his temptation. They're all washouts. But show up in Jerusalem, and I'll give you the power you lack to make up for your insufficiency. Is this true? 
It's the same men preaching in Acts. It's the same Peter. He still has problems. He still has weakness. But the power of God made him competent to do what God wanted him to do. And God's power in your life will make you competent to do all God saved you for. Now, three things I want us to look at in this chapter. Let me read it, then we'll lift out the points. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on divisions and revelations of the Lord. I know, present tense, a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up, the word rapture, caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Now notice, underscore weaknesses every time we read it now. We're going to do it four more times. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Just the opposite of us. We're always trying to impress. Not Paul. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Twice in one verse. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I believe that's the third time. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Another time. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. Which is it? It's both. I'm weak and I'm strong. The paradox. Um, I'm reminded of R.W. Dale, a brilliant theologian of England, when he first heard Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody, if you know the story of the man, went to Chicago, got away from where he grew up on the farm, went to Chicago as a salesman and became a part of a shoe business and he was a very successful salesman. He became a major founder of the YMCA, one of their major fundraisers. Gifted salesman, but uneducated, couldn't speak English without slaughtering it, the grammar. And now he's in London 
holding a crusade with Ira Sankey. And great effects are happening. People are being saved. Kind of revival fires are being lit. And R.W. Dale, the brain, trained, I believe, either Oxford or Cambridge, high credentials, uh, just uh, kind of a renaissance, a brilliant man. He gets an interview with uh, Moody, and when he's talking to Moody, he said, Mr. Moody, I've seen the incredible effects of your preaching on the people. People are being saved. People are being moved. But he said, having interviewed you, I can see no connection between what's happening and you. You just aren't that impressive. Because the power of God was producing the effects. And it was using a weak man, according to Dale. He wasn't a brilliant man. And R.W. Dale leaned towards liberalism anyway. But he evaluated. So you see this Paul, the church at Corinth did not exist without him coming there. He preached there. He founded it. Only when the work is going do the false get attracted to come and destroy the work. The thing that we need to wrestle with, three things. Let's look at the problem of the thorn he mentions in verse 7. Two, I want us to look at God's purpose for the thorn in his life. What was God's purpose for this thorn? And thirdly, what was God's power for the thorn look like? What did the power of God do regarding the thorn? The problem of the thorn, the purpose of the thorn, the power of God for the thorn. The problem of the thorn. Who did the thorn come from? Verse 7. So to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. Who was it that wanted to keep Paul from being conceited? Satan or God? To keep me from becoming conceited because of my surpassing knowledge, greatness, this vision, this experience, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Who gave the thorn? God is the ultimate source. What was his means of doing it? He was going to use Satan. Just like Job. God was behind the testing of Job. But he allowed Satan to do the dirty work, as it were. But it was the master plan of God. I will test my servant, Job. I'll allow you, Satan, to touch him. You can touch everything he's got but his life. Don't kill him. He nearly did. He was a sick, desperate man. And God was the one that permitted, go ahead, Satan, you could kill his ten children. You could destroy his property. You could take away his health. Do it. Go ahead, I give you permission. The devil can't do any more towards you than God permits God is in charge. He's sorry. Sometimes we empower the devil too much. He can only do what God has planned and purposed. God can bring evil and use evil to bring himself glory. Remember Genesis 50? 
Joseph said, you meant to do me harm to his brothers, but God meant it for good. God was in the whole plan to sell out Joseph. God was there when he was in prison. God was allowing these jealous brothers to think they were going to kill him. God was in the Ishmaelites buying this Hebrew boy. God was there. God is orchestrating everything that happens to us. He ultimately is a sovereign and control God. Now, the means that he brought it to Paul, the thorn, was he gave Satan, and Satan himself didn't even do it. He sent a demonic spirit, a fallen angel, to go and to torment this man. Uh, horrendous. And so what was the goal of this thorn? The means was Satan. What was the goal? And he says it twice. I will do whatever it takes to keep this man from falling into pride and conceit. Because you see, God lost angels and he lost the human race over pride. Satan said, I want to be like God. I will go up. I will go up. And so he was insubordinate, and he deceived one-third of the spirit world, which is a vast number, to follow him. And what was his ambition? To go higher than God had ordained. The human race, how did we fall? Did we fall at a brothel? Did we fall at a pool hall? Did we follow? What did we fall? We fell for the offer of being gods. He knows that if you eat of the fruit, you shall become your own man. You shall become your own God. Nobody will tell you what's right or wrong. And you will experience evil for yourself. And isn't that it? We don't want to obey. It's hot. It's hot. The little child says, I want to find out for myself. And we've been eating the apple ever since. Because we want to decide what's good and what's bad. Because we play God. We bought it. And God lost the human race. And he lost one-third of the angels. So now he's looking on this man that he gave exceeding revelations. So far beyond anything Paul can even describe. Uh, God knows that knowledge puffs up. He knows exceeding great experiences can puff up. And it's like God says... Paul, I'm not going to lose you to pride. I refuse to lose you. So I will bruise you. I will hurt you. I will make you realize your knowledge, your experience, your greatness is not enough. I'm going to make you be a man screaming out for help. I'm going to put a thorn from Satan to test you and torture you. I looked up the different views of what the thorn is. I found 12 views. I found a list in the Hendrickson series that was the most thorough list. And uh, don't laugh, but this is what scholars have come up with. And then I'll give you the five most common views of what Paul's thorn. What was the thorn? All of you think you're bearing the thorn probably because anything that's a pain or anything that's discomforting, we commonly, I've got, I've got a thorn in the flesh. And, and let me tell you this, it wasn't marriage. 
Paul wasn't married, and it wasn't mother-in-laws. So that, that's not in the list. And it isn't your children. Uh, you know, the common things you bring, well, if I just married better, or my kids would do this. Here are the views, some a bit absurd, but here, this is what the scholars have argued for, epilepsy. Where they get it, I don't know. Maybe they think the trances, the visions, maybe he's out of his head. Whatever. Hysteria. This is a view. Uh, I give you the page number, 416, 417. Hendrickson, 2 Corinthians. Uh, neuralgia. Depression. That makes sense. 2 Corinthians 1, I despaired of my life while I was in Asia. So it could have been a great bout of depression. That would be feasible. Uh, eye problem could be feasible. Galatians 4, you would have plucked out your eyes for me when you saw the infirmities I came to you with. So something must have been wrong with his eyes in that Galatians 4. At the end of Galatians chapter 6, he said, you see with what large letters I wrote the epistle in. So maybe eyes got infected, whatever. So some feel it could have been an eye disease. Malaria, leprosy, rheumatism, speech impediment. Some say because he was not seen as an eloquent speaker, maybe he had an impediment. I think it's more he didn't speak with the uh, rhetorical brilliance of Greek orators. He, he didn't come to be an orator. And, but anyone, some takes it, maybe he had a lisp. Maybe he had a speaking impediment. Uh, temptation to impurity. Personal enemies. Punishment by a demon. I think the most likely, and he summarizes five most popular views. Depression. Poor eyesight. Epilepsy. No evidence of this anywhere. Enemies. Uh, the enemies were nothing new. Paul said, this began 14 years ago. So he always was opposed. Demon visitation. Sure, this was the messenger that brought it. What could a demon do to us if God gave them permission? Well, I think, I think of several. Job being the classic example. What about Saul? Saul says, I'm being tormented by evil spirits. I need David to sing and play. And we would say, play my blues away. But whatever this demonic force against Saul in 1 Samuel 16, depression, uh, whatever, he was in a bad state. Bring the boy. Bring the boy to play me a song. I, I, I need this demonic spirit is torturing me. What about David? What about David that God rose up against Israel and he incited Satan to tempt David to number the children of Israel? Who did it? God or Satan? God's the ultimate source. God was displeased with Israel. He said, Satan, tempt him to count numbers. Tempt him, the man that has trusted me all the way because I'm fed up with Israel, I'm going to judge Israel, and I'm going to let their leader make a major mistake in my eyes. When you start counting the troops in the sight of God, God gets angry. 
as though our battles are won by numbers. Gideon, you've got too many men. Went from 300,000 to what, 300? God delivers his way, not by chariots, not by horses, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And God killed a lot of soldiers that day. What did Jesus teach us to pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from who? The evil. Who's the evil one? Satan. If God gives the devil permission, one of his spirit beings, look at what Ephesians 6 says. We wrestle against principalities and powers in the evil day. Spirit beings that govern the nations, as Daniel says, angels were overseeing different nations. Of oh, no. We are outmatched. We are outpowered. We are outfought. We don't have a chance unless God restrains this demonic power. We live in a demon-controlled world. Satan is the god of this age. So, Paul, to balance your exceeding great revelation, I want to give you a thorn. We don't know what it is for sure. What's your thorn? What does it take? What would it take from God to rein in your pride? Are you... Do you have pride problems? Do you have uh, self-sufficiency problems? Whatever it is, we know the purpose of the thorn. He says in verse 7, what is the thorn? We're not sure. The problem of it is still left there. I can't tell you what it is. Was it his eye? Was it depression? Was it physical? Was it merely spiritual? He, he thankfully left it alone in a definite de description, except God allowed it. He used Satan, and it brought torment to him. He was in great suffering. He says it was like a stake driven into his body. The term there said he came to buffet him. The word buffet was used of beating Christ on the way to the cross. He said, I've had a demonic power beating me in the face for over 14 years. You see, God was going to go to any length it took to not lose Paul to the great revelations he showed him. Be careful if you think you know a lot. To be humble with truth means you've got to turn it into love. Love builds up, knowledge puffs up. So what is, what's the goal of the Christian life? I want to stay stupid so I don't get judged. I don't want to know anything. Well, some of us, that just comes easy. Duh, I know nothing. I'm, I'm not equipped to teach. I'm not equipped to do. You know, knowledge just puffs you up. Well, you had to know the gospel before you can believe it. Did you know that reading has always gone where Christianity went? Because God's people had to teach people to read to enjoy the Bible. It takes a certain intelligence to read the Word. No, He wants you to know. He doesn't want you to be puffed up. And He's got a way. When the balloon gets inflated, He just puts a thorn in it. 
And it is a great cure for our natural bent to think we're cool, we're in charge, we're self-sufficient. It's our greatest sin. Our sin always comes from pride and unbelief. Well, uh, what was the purpose of it? Simply, it's just right there in the text. I don't want you to be conceited. Uh, and I, I would ask you, have you ever had any problems with pride? Or do you simply say, I've never been proud. I've always been right, but I've never been proud. <laughs> oh, okay. That's why marriage is so tough on us. Why does God lead you to marry someone that has a different opinion than you? How can that be? God, I have your point of view, but your gift has a different one. How can this be? Well, she's wrong. That's it. When would she admit it? And then sometimes the spirit gets on her side. That's miserable. You mean I could be wrong and she could be right? We do it in the church. Church splits come over. Everybody thinks God told them how to vote. So they just split the church. You know, holy wars are the hardest wars because God tells some folks everything, even when they're wrong. Say, that's why you better know what the Word says. Had a dispute going with an individual, and uh, they were upset. And so as we got ready to go settle the dispute, I brought my Bible, and the man said, hey, 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 what's the Bible doing here? I said, that's how we settle disputes. He said, no, you just listen to my opinion. I said, your opinion's not worth squat. You don't run this church. Neither do I. But the words of the living God. And if I'm wrong, I'll apologize. If I'm wrong, I'll change my view. That's why you need to know your Bible, so you can win more arguments. Listen to what Denny says. There have been men so clever that God could make no use of them. Men so clever, God could make no use of them. They could never do his work because they were so lost in admiration of their own. Wow. But listen to what he says in his commentary on 2 Corinthians. No one who saw the exceeding greatness of the power which the gospel exercised not only in sustaining its preachers under persecution, but in transforming human nature and making bad men good. No one who saw this and looked at a preacher like Paul could dream that the explanation lay in him, not in an ugly little Jew, without eloquence, without presence, without the means to bribe or compel, could the source of such courage the cause of such transformations be found. It must be sought not in him, but in God. I love the way Hendricks used to always ask students, name one thing going on in your life today that could only be explained by the power of God. God doing anything in you that he would own and claim? What is God doing in your life? What's the evidence of his power? Got a bad temper? Uh, got a bad attitude? Wrong attitude? Behavior? He wants to change us. The purpose of the thorn 
was just to shrink the head and the ego. And then what does he say? He said, I prayed. I need power to overcome. And verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I must be honest with you, this is the worst answer in the world. When you're in pain, I don't want more grace. I want the thorn taken away. Did you get mixed up, Lord? I got a thorn. I've got maybe an illness. I've, I've got an ailment. And he prays three times. Does that remind you of anybody else? Gethsemane. Three times Jesus prayed, Father, take this cup from me. And what did the Father say? Sure enough, I always answer prayer. Give me that cup. What did he do? He said, I'm not taking it away. It's my will you drink the cup. Because the cup is going to be the alienation on the cross and the great price you have to pay. God will not answer all your prayers. He will not deliver you from every problem. He said in 1 John 5, 14, if we ask anything according to his will. Well, could you have been in one of Job's colors? It can't be the will of God, uh, Brother Job. Uh, men of God don't break out boils. Men of God don't lose. They prosper. They drive new chariots. This is no God to serve. You can't be serving a God. No, no, there's sin in your life. There's something wrong with you, Job. Don't, you're lying. You think you're better than you are. You're lying. Don't tell us. And these were called his comforters. Why, why did God not take away the thorn? Same to Paul. I'm not taking away the thorn. You've had it for 14 years. And you've asked at least three times specifically. But I'm not taking it away. And I come up with this little line. He wanted thorn removal and God offers grace bestowal. No thorn removed, just grace bestowed. You know, I think of the Swansons raising a billy. Thirty some odd years he lived. His father had to help him with bass, lithium. It's a good thing that Ted was a strong man lifting this boy in and out of bed. He didn't go away. Spinal bifida afflicted him as a young boy. Hey, this was no short trial. This was, no, this will be over. This is a little trial. No, no, this is a 38, 39-year trial. They wouldn't call him a trial. They came to love that boy, did everything they could. What would you have called it? What would you have called it? What would you say to Fanny Crosby who said, my first glimpse of him will be the first time I get to see him. But I'll write hymns about him in the meantime. Will you serve him anyhow? Will his grace be sufficient? He said it was. And of course, Annie Flint Johnson wrote the famous words, God hath not promised, skies always blue, flowers strewn, pathways all our lives through. 
God hath not promised some without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain, but he has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. And then Amy Carmichael, when she's working in India, rescuing girls from temple steps and starting his orphan, her orphanages to rescue, she writes, when she be, had a fall, injured her, put her in bed for the rest of her life, and from that bed she wrote many magnificent poems. And she wrote this poem, Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand. I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascended star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned up against the tree to die and rent by ravening beasts that compassed me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yes, as the master shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no scar, no wound? I just heard a pastor who underwent cancer surgery in the brain. And he said they cut his skull completely open. They eventually had to cement his skull back together. So they went in there and they found parts of his brain that were like putty. And uh, to have brain cancer normally is to die. But here he was, a, a pastor, doing God's will. And he shared how that uh, only hymns Hymns were the only thing that in the pain of that surgery and in the pain of that recovery, they stripped him face down. It's like they, as he described, it's like they just pulled that skull apart, had to get in to get to the cancer. And the face was stretched every way. I mean, to imagine it. But he said, as I was in the midst of the pain, he said, I could only sing one hymn. These are the words. I went home and printed it out. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. He said, that's all he could sing. I've only heard my black brothers and sisters sing this song. Come, you disconsolate, wherever you languish, come to the mercy seat, fervently kneel, here bring your wounded hearts. Here tell your anguish. 
earth has no sorrow, heaven cannot heal. Drain the wounds. You see, the Lord Jesus didn't save you by forming an army. He didn't save you by showing his biceps. He said, I will save you by becoming weak. I will save you by going to the cross where both the weakness of God and the power of God will be manifested. I'll first of all, go weak enough to pay for your sins, but be strong enough to defy the devil three days later and tell death, hell, and the grave, I'm greater than you. I'm greater than you. Oh, let me tell you, child of God, you ought to thank God for how good you have it in a fallen world. I am amazed. We are so blessed and have been protected so much from all the devil would like to do to you. But we follow the steps of our Savior, and oftentimes our cloak is weakness. It may be sickness, incapacity, whatever. But your Lord will be near when the wound is there. He'll be there when the thorn is there. And God's got a divine purpose in it all. Sometimes I want to tell him, could you let up on the thorns? I'm weak enough. I don't need any more humility. I, can, I can't hardly survive on what I got. He alone knows. I love what Spurgeon said. Did I not know that all my trials came from the hands of him who had wounds in his? I could not trust that God had any purpose for my good. But when I look and see it's a wounded hand, through which all my trials come, then I can rejoice. He's in charge. He will do me right, even if I have to be weak in the learning, in the learning. So this is our Savior. This is the way we walk. We are the people who say, we do the work of God on borrowed power. We do the will of God on borrowed strength. I can do everything he wants through Christ who strengthens me. That's our testimony. So we seek no glory but to boast of the God that gives us strength. What a wonderful Savior he is. Has anyone here experienced his strength? Three of you. Four. Uh, have any of you ever had a thorn? Has his grace proved sufficient? Our Father, suffering is always a sacred ground subject. Not triumphalism, but submission to the way of the cross that leads home. That your New Testament messages were known by the scars, not by the resume. They were scarred, they were never stars. They were sufferers, and to, if we've suffered with him, we also shall reign with him. We're longing for the day we get to reign with you, Lord, when that reign is made public, even before men and angels, when we have got a redeemed body, and they will know that we've been adopted as sons. What a day it will be when a Catherine can be healed, when this servant can be healed, when this messenger can be relieved of 
the great personal problems. Oh, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Apart from you, we can never make it. We can never make it. Let us notify men, angels, and demons. We can't make it apart from the grace of God, the protection of God, the enablement of God. This is our testimony. The weak are made strong in Christ. The weak are enabled by the power of an empty tomb and a, a descended spirit that has come. We bless your name. We bless your name. And his church said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in his strength. Go in his power.